Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Explain this to me again. I guess there's a conversation going on online right now about the fact that there are two types of people, those who shower front ways and those who shower back ways. That don't, could have been said better, but you get what I mean. Don't people shower front and back? Yes, but the the default position of their showering oh, okay. is either facing the shower head or okay. facing away from the shower head. And what's the difference? What are they saying the difference is? Um, well, some people believe that showering facing the shower head means you're a psychopath. <laughs> Um, which you you said that you are. Yeah, that. but then you did not explain to me what it meant. No. Um, but okay, so it, so you're a psychopath if you shower front ways first. Now this is not science. This is just that you know people have weird opinions about things like whether or not you put the dishes in the left hand sink, <laughs> even though yeah. that. Yeah. Dish strainer is also on the left-hand side. So if you shower starting with your back first, that means you're normal? Or? It's not about the starting. It's about the default position. Default position. Yes. Okay. All right. Personally, I think that if you wash your face first, it makes a lot more sense. If your default position is back to the shower, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It seems to me like face to ass is the smart way to go as opposed to ass to face. Are we still talking about showering? Well, I was. <laughs> no, I wash my face first too, mm. but I face away from the shower head. Yeah, I see. All right. Yeah, so I it's... mean the first thing I have to do, I mean let's be clear, the first thing I have to do is make sure that everything on my body is evenly wet. Okay. Because I cannot handle the feeling of only parts of me like <laughs> Like, let's say, for instance, Mm -hmm. something icky got on one of my hands and I was just rinsing it off, right? Right. And then I pick up a towel and I'm dry. I cannot, I cannot handle just one of my hands being wet and and drying my... So uh, you you can't wash just one hand at a time? No. Okay. Both of my hands have to be wet and then the drying can commence. Wow. Okay. So first and foremost, everything gets wet. Everything. Okay. But then... The but first then face. thing, yeah, face, yeah. face first, yeah. But yeah. my default position is still facing away from the shower head. Uh, I don't know. That's so weird. 
Well, it, it makes sense to me because if I'm facing the shower head, then my soap is just washing off of my face before I've had a chance to lather. And I wash my face for a minute. So okay. how am I to right. continue facing the shower head while keeping my, my face wash on my face? That's an excellent point. We all have little quirks like that. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I always put my right shoe on first. I have not noticed that. I don't know why. I have to look away when you put your shoes on because you just jam your foot into a tied shoe <laughs> yeah. and it makes me very uncomfortable. I'm very old. <laughs> I'm one step away from Velcro. <laughs> anyway, happy new year, everybody. And uh, we're glad that you're with us. We are convinced that 2024 is going to be awesome. Yeah. And we hope that you also feel that way because, man, we need an awesome yeah. year. I made a joke at the end of the last episode saying, yeah, probably that's not going to happen. But you know what? I really believe that 2024 is going to turn out way better than 2023 did. I'm just, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Katrina. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you have a story for me? I do. Could you tell it to me? I will. Joseph sent an email suggesting this topic, and I'm going to take you back to the Wild West. Ooh. To a time of rough and tumble rapscallionism. Is that a word? Yep. Ever hear of a guy named Charlie Parkhurst? I don't think so. Well, Charlie was a legend, a real maverick of the California gold rush days. Charlie was renowned across the, the entire West as the best stagecoach driver you'd ever see. He drove a six-horse stagecoach. Picture him thundering across the rugged terrain with a coach full of gold nuggets. Charlie, you know, he was kind of short and stocky, but man, could he hold his own. Mm -hmm. He had a penchant for whiskey and could outmatch any saloon regular, a cigar was perpetually clamped between his teeth, gritted in determination, and he had a piece of black cloth covering his left eye because uh, of an accident he had where a horse kicked him in the face. So, I don't know why, but for some reason, I keep picturing Charlie Day from <laughs> It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I, I think he would be miscast as no, Charlie Parker's. Disagree. Well, he's a pretty good actor. It could happen, I guess. Now, the life of a stagecoach driver... Does all the Charlie work. ...at this point in time was no joke. They weren't just uh, driving horses around in the prairie. They were battling rough trails that were full of all kinds of problems that Mother Nature would throw at them. Rattlesnakes and grizzly bears. And, and of course, the wrath of outlaws. Because you're driving a stagecoach full of gold and everyone knows it. Charlie navigated tight mountain passes where a single misstep could send the coach tumbling over an abyss. Mm. He crossed open deserts, vast and merciless deserts, heat pounding down on him. The sun was as much of an enemy as any bandit could be. But Charlie thrived on chaos. The more dangerous the route, the more he seemed at home maneuvering his team with an uncanny ability like a captain steering a ship. He was very, very cool under pressure, never one for reckless gambits uh, or unnecessary risks. It was as if he had an unspoken pact with the horses, a mutual respect. People kind of thought of him as 
what we would call a horse whisperer. Okay, because I was going to say, it sounds like the real heroes here are the horses, but mm. they, they worked in tandem. They did. Okay. Yes. Well, he loved his horses. Charlie was no one to be trifled with. There was one particular close call. Charlie's coach was trundling through a notorious stretch between Mariposa and Stockton. And it was a place where there were a lot of opportunities to be ambushed. Uh, Many uh, bandits would hide out in this area on this trail. And one particular was known as Sugarfoot, (laughs) which is the stupidest bandit name ever. But he was famous and he was feared and he had his eyes on Charlie's cargo. But the ambush Sugarfoot planned went south real fast. Charlie, nerves of steel and a gaze as sharp as a hawk's, even with just one eye, uh, <laughs> he saw what was coming. He, anti- he had this ability to anticipate things and he saw what was happening before it happened. They say Charlie faced down Sugarfoot himself the encounter ending with the outlaw being outgunned by Charlie. Wow. And um, Sugarfoot and One-Eyed Charlie. It sounds like a 1970s supergroup. <laughs> it does. On Arista Records and Tapes. <laughs> Life was never dull for Charlie, not by a long shot. Uh, after that incident with the eye, people would call him One-Eyed Charlie. And of course, that's a much better name than Sugarfoot. Yeah. They, it, and it didn't bother him much. If anything, it added to his mystique. It uh, wasn't just the humans and the terrain that kept his life interesting. It was grizzlies and rattlesnakes. Charlie faced them all the time with this unflappable demeanor. Charlie was the go-to guy for stagecoach drivers. He drove for companies like Wells Fargo. If a big bank needed to move a lot of gold from, say, a mine to a railroad station or something... He was the guy they wanted. He was the A-team. This sounds like a movie. It does. I love that time period, too. The uh, 1840s, 1850s. Yeah. As the years wore on and the railroad began to stretch across the country, the age of the stagecoach driver began to wane. And Charlie, he was a pragmatist. He knew when to hold them and when to fold them. When to walk away and when to run. So he decided he was going to hang up his uh, his spurs and retired. And for a while, he he did that. Then he, he started a saloon. That sounds right. Yeah, he, were, he had a saloon for a little while. And then he moved north and worked as a lumberjack. A lumberjack with one eye? A, a one-eyed lumberjack. That's got to be tough because of the depth perception thing. I would think so, but maybe your brain rewires itself or something. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Or maybe just, you know, full of whiskey, you don't care. That has been proven to be true. Anyway, you might think it's a, a solitary end for such a storied life. Here's a guy that was just so amazingly revered and talented and overcame so many obstacles and was a force to be reckoned with. Now living in a little cabin in the woods as a lumberjack. But here's where the story gets a little interesting. Something kind of unexpected. When Charlie passed away, the doctor came to lay Charlie to rest. It was then that the doctor discovered to his astonishment and the astonishment of everyone who thought they knew Charlie, that Charlie wasn't exactly what they thought he was. Charlie Parkhurst, the driver who could outdrink, outdrive, outfight, outlast any man, had lived through countless dangers and had seemed to embody the very spirit of the Wild West was in fact a woman. What? Charlie Parkhurst was actually Charlotte. 
Parkhurst, and Charlotte had pulled the wool over the eyes of the entire frontier. <laughs> and they were the first biological woman to ever vote in the United States. Charlie registered as Charlie Parker. Oh. And this was years before the 19th Amendment. So technically, Charlotte Parkhurst was the first woman in the U.S. to, to vote in an election. Charlotte's story didn't start out in the Wild West. Charlotte was born in the cold, rugged landscape of New Hampshire in 1812. That explains it. <laughs> Life dealt Charlotte a harsh hand from the very beginning. Uh, orphaned, young, and put in the care of an orphanage, Charlie learned early on in life that life was a battle, and it wasn't always fair. The orphanage was a place of strict rules and even stricter roles. Charlotte noticed, with the keen eye that would later save their life more than once, that boys had freedoms and futures that girls could only dream of. So, Charlotte slash Charlie decided to become one of them. It was a matter of survival seizing control in a world that offered little to someone like Charlotte. So Charlotte, dressed in boys' clothing and ran away, ended up in Worcester, Massachusetts. There, Charlie became an expert in all things equine. Charlie was taught the language of the reins and how to, how to whisper to horses. This is where Charlie really found their calling. But the East Coast, with its settled ways, wasn't enough for Charlie. The Wild West was calling, so Charlie... <laughs> Charlie went west through Panama and and then got sick along the way and almost died, got to California in the early 1850s. And Charlie arrived a person with a confident stride, somebody who knew what they were, that they were stepping into destiny. In California, Charlie's reputation grew with every mile his stagecoach thundered. The gold rush was in full swing. Uh, the routes between the mining outposts and the burgeoning cities were veins that were like the lifeblood of the economy. And it was a time when a stagecoach driver could be as famous as a gunslinger. And One-Eyed Charlie was a name that commanded respect. I mean, it's no left eye Lopez, but it's it's pretty good. <laughs> the years wore on, carving lines into Charlie's face. The tales grew taller, the truth harder to discern from myth. Charlie became a figure of legend as a stagecoach driver who had seen it all and done it all and lived it all to tell the tale. So that made it all the more surprising when the doctor said, holy crap. Yeah. Now, do we know if Charlie was actually a man or if... Charlotte just saw the opportunities available to men and decided to live that way. It's hard to say because there's so much we don't know. Okay, it's not about... like there was a journal. No. Okay. No, nothing like that. We do know that uh, the initial motivation may have been just to be treated more fairly mm -hmm. as, a, as an individual by dressing up as, as a man. But then there are those who were Charlie's contemporaries who said that there was absolutely nothing feminine at all okay about charlie and whether that was an act we just don't know we don't know interesting but charlotte could drink anyone under the table and then beat the shit out of them better than pretty much anybody so <laughs> <laughs> all the more surprising i guess for them at the end and again this was 1860s my information came from new york times wikipedia and britannica charlie parkhurst aka one-eyed charlie and now that thing in the middle. 
It's commonly known that with most materials, when they're heated or cooled, will either expand or contract. How much they expand or contract depends on the type of material. For example, did you know that due to thermal expansion, when it's warm, the Eiffel Tower is a half foot taller than it normally is? I love this. Kylie sent us a message. Kylie Minogue? Not Kylie Minogue, no. But uh, this seems like a very nice Kylie as well. Hi, we've had a couple of crazy busy weeks, so I'm a little behind on episodes. I'm listening to Box 603 right now, and you guys had a small conversation about a drink that you invented. The one that you invented, Kat. Oh, okay. Gin with jalapeno syrup. Yum, by the way. Mm. I have a suggestion for the name. Yes, please. If you add a little tonic water, spicy water for your spicy drink, you could call it Cat a tonic. <laughs> That's brilliant. I that love really it. That really is. Okay. You have moved up the ranks in the Kylie's. Congratulations. <laughs> on Patreon, Kelly commented on one of our recent episodes I'm Canadian, and I for absolute sure do not say robot like JG. Robot? Maybe it's a New Brunswick specific thing? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> uh, in Maine, oftentimes, Robot is pronounced robot, but it's mostly northern Maine. And I think, yeah, it comes from New yeah. Brunswick. Robot. We were talking about some of the specific words. Um, it's not even an accent necessarily, but just certain words that come out differently. Like my dad used to say batteries. Batteries. Saturday instead of Saturday. Or even like Tuesday. 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 Going over, the, going over to Walmart's is on Tuesday. <laughs> If this podcast were a puppy or kitten, it would be all cute and cuddly. Then stare at you from two inches away while you slept. This is The Box of Oddities. It's fascinating to consider how people in the past envisioned the future. Many imagine flying cars, of course, advanced robotics, and cities filled with futuristic technology. And we've talked about this before. But I thought it would be fun as we are moving into the new year to revisit how people from the past envisioned the future. Or I, love, I love this retro futurism. I exactly. love it. Some accurate predictions include the rise of smartphones. You know, there was this idea that there would be this one machine that you could carry around in your pocket that would have the weather on it mm. and you could communicate on it. It would be wireless. It I think would be wireless. Tesla was one of the people that uh, that talked about that pretty early on. We're actually starting out with Tesla. Ooh. Tesla suggested that he believed people in the future wouldn't consume coffee. <laughs> Okay. The purported quote goes, I think that in the future, coffee will be considered a drug and will not be used as widely as now the case. However, it's important to note that there is limited evidence to support the authenticity of this quote, and it's often doubted among historians, though Tesla did have strong opinions on various subjects, including diet, so it's not outside the range of possibility. He was very particular about the things that he ate, and not just that, but how he ate them. Everything had to be divisible by three. Yeah, well, he had OCD. He had OCD, for sure. So there were a lot of things. Well, in the year 1900, John Elfrith Watkins Jr. envisioned a future where fruits like strawberries, raspberries, and blueberries would be as large as apples. 
while peas and beans would grow to the size of beets. Similarly, in 1956, George Severus imagined a farm in the year 2000 where hydrogen bomb-affected soil would produce three-foot-long carrots (laughs) and four-foot-wide turnips. So we should blow up our gardens with hydrogen bombs (laughs) so we can get big carrots. These predictions highlighted the belief that food would essentially remain the same as far as content goes, but the size would be just Mm. outlandish. I don't think George Severus imagined that our large berries would come from nuclear fallout, though. (laughs) It's interesting, though, that uh, they were already talking about potential benefits as opposed to destructive results that hydrogen uh, could have back then. I was just watching a documentary about hydrogen cell batteries that are like the future of electric cars. And it's amazing. I mean, it's not quite here yet, Mm. but in a few years, battery technology is going to be completely transformed. Well, it's interesting in some of the articles and videos that I watched for this topic, it seemed like people were really either very optimistic about the future or incredibly pessimistic about the future. Hmm. There was one specific video of children being interviewed from, I think, the 1950s or early 60s, and almost every single one of them said that if we are still here, everyone will have bombs. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Professor Ferdinand Schuller, a New York visionary, saw the food of the future as being selected on a scientific basis with regard to its curative properties so that the ills of the flesh will be reduced to a minimum and fewer medicines will have to be taken, which is pretty optimistic considering mm. what we actually eat. Unless you want to say that Doritos have curative properties. We don't know for sure, Claire. There was also the belief that restaurants would offer self-service tables with meals rising from the kitchen one floor below Hmm. through the tabletop, Mm -hmm. which is fun. Now, there are self-service restaurants where you sit down, you've got the little tablet, you put in what you want, and then they bring it out to you. So the only thing really missing is that cool dummy waiter style tabletop. I want a dummy waiter style tabletop. Me too. They also thought the wave of the future in restaurants would be those automats. I love automats. There should be more automats. Let's bring automats back. Can we also talk about sushi conveyor belt restaurants? Yeah, More of those, please. The quicker you can get the food into my mouth with the least amount of energy expent by myself is highly sought after by me. Now, in 1922, English author W.L. George speculated that by last year, a complete meal would be consumed in the form of four pills. Mm. But he also said that he believed that traditional dishes like corned beef hash and pumpkin pie would never cease to exist. Well, that's good. That is optimistic. So your dailies, I think, would come in the form of pills, but you'd have special treats. That makes sense. I remember as a kid when... uh you know, the space program was highly active when we were putting people on the moon mm. and all of the food that was being developed for space travel was kind of like a paste in a tube, like toothpaste, but right. it'd be like beef or something. Mm. And uh, there was a lot of speculation that that's how it would, you know, our our diets would evolve to just going to the store and, and, and getting a tube full of spam paste. I I can't think of much that sounds less nice to me (laughs) than spam paste. Mm. 
No. Schuller imagined a utopian future for Manhattan specifically, envisioning a metropolis adorned with towering skyscrapers, moving sidewalks, and canals that would replace streets. He imagined buildings would reach 60 to 80 stories constructed of glass, steel, and concrete, Mm -hmm. and that the rolling sidewalks powered by electromagnetism would connect the building seamlessly. But instead of conventional streets, canals, which would offer a unique space for canoeing, powerboating, and bathing. I don't think I want to bathe in your powerboat water. (laughs) Bathing in powerboat water. Okay, Mark. So, traveling. Apparently, we're traveling in canals now. What about trains? Trains, he imagined, would travel on glass plates and reach speeds of up to 200 miles per hour. This was what year? This was 1922. So, they were predicting what it would look like 100 years from then. And Schuller believed that anti-gravity screens would prevent airplanes from falling out of the sky. And that luxury airships would have elevators, rolling floors, swimming pools, and, quote, practically every convenience. That's some forward thinking. How much does water weigh in a swimming pool? Mm. Can you imagine the amount of thrust it would take to get an airplane off the ground with an Olympic-sized pool on board? Yeah, and then the swooshy swoosh that it would do. I mean, You'd have to have some kind of gyroscopic device to... I wonder what the pressure change... You know how it affects your ears when you Mm. go up in an airplane. What would that feel like if you were underwater in a pool? Well, that's deep. Well, it would be an Olympic-sized pool, so yeah. Yeah. Deep enough for diving, at least. Hopefully. Meanwhile, scientist Charles P. Steinmetz, a proponent of electrical power in New York, anticipated a cleaner future where the adaptation of chimneyless houses by 2022 (laughs) would eliminate combustion and fires within city limits, creating a safer and healthier environment. Though renowned author Isaac Asimov imagined vast underground cities equipped with advanced lighting technology that could simulate outdoor environments. He envisioned that the Earth's surface would be utilized for agriculture, grazing grounds, and parks while everyone would live underground. That's very H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, except the people underground were cannibalistic. Right, there's that. What were they called? Starts with an M. Marmots, uh, mittens, mountains. I know it wasn't mountains. Mountains come out of the sky and stand there. Morlocks. Morlocks. (laughs) I was way off. Now, were you saying marmots like the large squirrels? Yeah, giant squirrels. And in mountains, in and around the lake, mountains come out of the sky and stand there. It's song lyrics, huh? Yeah. Do you know who does that song? Yes. Who? No, not the who. Yes. What? You're asking me who the song is by. Yes. Exactly. Who? No, yes. Okay, I just feel like we're going roundabout here. Thank you, everybody. It's our, <laughs> it's our who's on first rendition very Abbott and Costello except they were funny while these predictions may have missed the mark there is reportedly a underground park called the low line said to be in the works for New York so maybe not too far off in 1900 a German chocolate company released a series of illustrated cards showing their predictions for the 21st century 
I'm pretty sure the chocolate company was called Theodore Hildebrand und Zun, but I'm not entirely sure about that because German. One of the cards depicted a good weather machine, which would blow back storms over the ocean. And at the same time, the Boston Globe suggested the ability to generate a refreshing easterly wind during hot weather. I love the sound of this. Valdemar Kampfert, in a 1950 article from Popular Mechanics, imagined a future where hurricanes were no longer a concern by the year 2000. He proposed igniting large oil fires across the water (laughs) to draw air from the surrounding region and dissipate the storm. Uh What's worse, a hurricane (laughs) or a large oil fire? Yeah. Or a large oil fire that is now being fed by hurricane winds. Right. That sounds like a movie that would have been made recently, like hur- Fire Hurricane or like Sharknado. Yeah, yeah, right. Fire Cane. In his book, The World in 2030 A.D., published in 1930, Frederick Edwin Smith, a former Lord Chancellor of Britain and close friend of Winston Churchill, imagined a future where a person would own a small airplane perfect for weekend trips. He also hoped that by 2030, society would have rejected complex and unhygienic Clothing, opting for three simple outfits, one for work, one for recreation, and a third for formal occasions, all of which could be cleaned thoroughly and disinfected, making them more hygienic. Meanwhile, science fiction author Robert Heinlein expressed his belief in a 1952 issue of Galaxy magazine that clothing would actually become obsolete. He anticipated a future where covering up would be reserved for strangers and conservative relatives, and psychiatrists might even recommend casual nudity within the confines of one's own home. I love Heinlein, and if you enjoy retrofuturism or science fiction, classic science fiction from the 50s, Heinlein's great. I would recommend The Door into Summer. I love that Smith is like, we're just going to have really easy to clean clothing, three outfits, that's it. (laughs) And Heinlein's like, fuck clothes. (laughs) And my favorite regarding transportation, French artist Jean-Marc Cotier and his contemporaries created imaginative illustrations between 1899 and 1910, depicting what they believed the year 2000 might look like. These illustrations portrayed... Deep sea divers riding giant seahorses and a whale pulling a bus through the sea (laughs) and jockeys racing on the backs of enormous fish. This is this is where it's at, yo. Mm -hmm. This is what I would like to see. (laughs) Now, it remains uncertain whether these illustrations were hyperbolic or if the artists genuinely believed in the possibility of seahorse carriages and underwater lifestyles. I like to think that they genuinely hoped for giant riding seahorses. Well, they're stupid if they didn't. It's 2023. It's, wait, what year is it now? Four. It's 2024. Thank you. And I still hope for giant riding seahorses, but only if they want to be ridden. Right. Of course. Of course. And only the females. They have to be consenting giant uh, seahorses. Right. A really cool piece of futuristic technology, which is now just starting to be put in place, special sidewalks that are put in in like airports and uh, high traffic density areas in cities where every step is saved as energy in a hydrogen cell 
or some sort of high-end battery. Mm. And in high traffic areas, it really can make a difference. Kinetic energy. We were watching something the other night. I was kind of drifting in and out on your shoulder. And I heard something about a train going 700 yeah. miles an hour. Right. And I remember just raising my head and going, <laughs> holy shit, and yeah. then just falling yeah. back asleep. <laughs> yeah, like vacuum tube trains. Yes. That if they put one in between LA and San Francisco, it would go 700 miles an hour. You'd get there in like a half hour. That's incredible. It is. It's crazy. And, you know, I'm a huge proponent of more train systems in the States in general. Mm -hmm. High speed trains? Yes. Thank you. All day long. Where's the Kickstarter for this bitch? It's like riding in one of those uh, bank vacuum tube capsules that you always forget your The pneumonic tubes? Yeah, yeah. So I imagine the travel would be extremely smooth. You're just being shot through a tunnel. Yeah. A vacuum tube. Shoop. I got my information from the Beacon Journal, from USA Today, and from CNN. Fascinating. So this is the last episode that we're doing uh, in this particular format style. As we mentioned a a week or two ago, we are going to do, instead of two shorter episodes each week, one on Monday, one on Thursday, we're going to do a supersized episode on Monday. So next week, when you don't get a drop on Thursday, that's why. Remember, it's just a bigger one on Monday. And who doesn't want a bigger one on Monday? Let's be fair. Oh. We're also going to be releasing a couple times a month the inbox of oddities where we will read messages and emails that we can't get to on our regular episode. And sharing your stories. If you have something that you would like to be considered for the inbox of oddities, We love so much the Halloween episodes and your voices being part of the show. Don't be scared. Your voice sounds nice. You're amongst freak family here. And as we said, we're going to try it out and see how it goes. Send your stuff to curator at theboxofoddities.com. We're so excited. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2024. All rights reserved.